scripture today is taken from Psalm 23. In your pew Bible, it's on pages 574 and 575. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in right paths for his namesake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the word of God for the people of God. I have gotten the green card that says the audio is working online. Hooray! <laughs> so number one tech fix worked. Turn everything off and turn it back on. Uh, I just want to say thanks to those of you online who stuck with us through that audio trouble and welcome back. We're glad you can hear us now. <clears throat> what will the end be? What will the end be? That's a question that causes a lot of struggle for some of us. What will the end be? There are some people who can't stand not knowing the answer to that question. These are the kind of people who, when reading a particularly intense book, will skip to the last few pages to find out what happens. They have to know the end of the story. They can't just read through the book like the author intended. Are you that kind of person? I have always looked with some disdain at those kind of people until I realized I am that kind of person. Except with the 21st century twist, I don't do that with books, but if I'm watching a TV show or a movie that's really dramatic, if it's really scary or really tense, I will go and pick up my phone and pull up Wikipedia and look at the episode summary or the uh, summary of the season to find out who gets married or who gets divorced or who lives or who dies. I, I have to have the answers <laughs> to be able to watch the show in peace. So I am that kind of person, it turns out. What will the end be? Is that a question that you would like to have answered for yourself? What will my end be? Sometimes people get to know the answer to that question my friend that I mentioned last week who's living with ALS, he has a good idea of what his end will be. That's a weird thing to know, I would guess. And I suspect if given the chance, he would like to go back to the time when he didn't know. For most of our life, we don't get to know until close to the very end what, in fact, our end will be, which actually leaves us plenty of space to wonder about it and worry about it and even be fearful of it. Fearing death is it's something normal, it's something natural. To, a, to an extent, it can be healthy, right? Like, not wanting to die keeps us from doing a whole lot of stupid things in the world. Yesterday, Matt and I were out walking at Walnut Creek, and there were several people out on the middle of the lake ice fishing. Nebraska, I have not gotten used to this ice fishing, fishing situation yet, okay? That is not something we do in southern Kansas. It doesn't stay cold long enough there. So I have no idea how to tell if ice is safe to walk on or not. So my first reaction at the idea of trotting out to an ice fishing hut in the middle of Walnut Creek is no thank you. 
Why? Because I don't want to die. And I have seen enough movies where people walk out on the ice and crack, 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 and they fall in and it does not end well, okay? But because I don't actually know what I'm doing when it comes to walking on ice, uh, it, in that case, my fear of death is helpful. It's helpful, it keeps me safe. Unless, unless some good ice fisher person decides to invite me out to their hut to see what it's like. And the person who does that are experienced and they, they know what they're doing. And in that case, if I let my fear prevent me from saying yes, if I let my worry about crashing through the ice and dying be bigger than my trust of my host, well, then I'm going to miss out on a new and wonderful experience. In a really simple way, in that case, I would miss out on living for fear of dying. And we do that. We do that. We let the fear of death interfere with our living. Maybe because we turn down an experience like ice fishing or traveling or meeting new people. Or maybe we just spend a lot of energy and time worrying about our own death or the deaths, deaths of people close to us. Will I get cancer? We worry. Will my spouse get in a car accident? We worry. Will my child fall victim to some crime? We can find ourselves wasting a lot of time worrying about illness and injury and death. And if we do that a little bit, okay, we can shake off those thoughts and move on, but sometimes those thoughts haunt us or keep us up at night. Sometimes they alter our behavior. Sometimes they simply rob us of the joy of the moment we're in because we're too worried about what might happen in the future. You know, one thing that sometimes helps when we're scared of something new and dying for all of us is going to be something new, right? Sometimes it helps to have someone explain to us what it will be like. I have a family member whom I will not name, it is not my husband, who only agrees to go to a new restaurant if he can see the menu ahead of time or have it explained exactly what kind of food will be available. Do you know anybody like this? He just has to know what to expect if he's going to go someplace new. Now, wouldn't it be nice if we could have that kind of intel for what happens after we die? Show me the menu, God. I want to know what my choices are going to be. Now, we have some testimony right out there in the world from people who have experienced near death, or maybe they had their heart stop and they were brought back to life. And those are interesting, and on the whole, they're comforting stories that they tell. And I think that might give us a clue what it feels like to die, but I don't think it really helps us understand what it's like to be dead. I mean, what it's like to be dead, that's something we're only going to know when we know. Okay, Amy, what about the Bible? Isn't there a menu of sorts in there about what life after death would be like? Well, sort of. I mean, Jesus talks about a furnace of fire or an outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I don't really know what that means, gnashing of teeth, but it's not someplace we want to go. That's a place for people, reserved for people who reject God. But, but even then, in the way he talks about it, it sounds kind of metaphorical or like a poetic description to me, trying to describe a place of isolation or abandonment. Don't reject God. That's the point of that. Okay, but what about heaven? Doesn't the Bible tell us what that is like? Sort of. 
We get some descriptions in the scripture, but it's hard to know too then how literally we can actually take those. I mean, the, the most detailed picture comes from the book of Revelation. And it's a complicated story there, but after all the tumult, there's a hundred or sorry, a thousand year reign of Christ. And then the book says, all the dead will return and be judged according to their deeds in the book of life. And those whose names are found in the book of life will go on to live in a recreation of the world. God will recreate the world after all this calamity. And there will be a new heaven and a new earth that God makes. Revelation says, and it says there'll be a brand new city of Jerusalem, which is the holiest place that the author can imagine in the universe. A brand new city of Jerusalem will come down out of the sky, and it will be the most beautiful city we could ever hope to see. It will be built out of gems, jasper, and rubies, and pearls, the pearly gates, anyone? The streets themselves will be paved with gold, and the river that flows through the city is <coughs> excuse me, like, like a fountain of crystal. This is the picture of the city of Jerusalem that comes down out of the sky onto the earth. And in the city, there doesn't even need to be a temple because God is simply present right in the middle of the city. God is just there, so there's no need for a special place to worship God. And best of all, in that new city, in that recreated world, there's no more crying, no more pain, no more mourning. And God will wipe away every tear, the Bible says. God says, see, I am making all things new. That's what we find in the book of Revelation. You like that vision of the end? Sounds pretty good to me. But what's interesting is that for the book of Revelation, nobody lives in that city until after this gigantic battle on earth and all the dead are raised. What Christians have done over the centuries is to add a little bit to what Revelation gives us. They figured that if that holy and beautiful city with its pearly gates and its streets of gold is going to come down out of the sky to earth, then God must already be there. And so maybe we go and dwell with God until the time is right for that city to come to the earth. So then we get this conception of heaven that we see and talk about and have been told about and sung about, but that's not exactly what the book of Revelation promises us. And that's because Revelation was written to talk about the end of the world and the, the sort of political life that was happening around, not the individual mystery of life and death. So is it an accurate picture of heaven? Maybe, maybe not. Even when we read the Bible carefully then from beginning to end, the question what happens the moment we die, it remains a little unresolved for us. There are a lot of other hints and images in the story, a lot of other places besides Revelation where people are pictured as living with God in the sky. So it's not that we need to fear being without God. We just, we just need to hold on to the fact that when we talk about heaven, what we have is an idea. And, and once we see it, it might turn out to be different than what we're picturing at this moment. We know this, though. We know this, no, because if we're pressed, we know that when we talk about our loved ones being up there or being in heaven, we know that's not quite accurate because the sky, space, it goes on for millions of miles. So we talk about heaven in a way that makes sense to us, but we also know that it can't quite be described in words. And we might not think about that too much until something like a child asks us, like, 
if we put grandpa in the ground, how is he going to get up to heaven to be with Jesus? Well, that's a really good question. I don't have a clear answer of how to explain that step by step to a kid or to us. Some of it's going to remain a mystery until we cross over that veil of death for ourselves. So if we're not going to find comfort for our fear of death in an exact description of heaven, where are we going to find it? Well, one tried and true answer for Christians has long been the 23rd Psalm. Rabbi Harold Kushner has written that the 23rd Psalm is the answer to this question, how do you live in a dangerous, unpredictable, and frightening world? How do you live in a dangerous, unpredictable, and frightening world? The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He lets me rest in grassy meadows. He leads me to restful waters. He keeps me alive. He guides me in proper paths for the sake of his good name. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. This psalm is one for the heart. There's a reason it's one of the best known scriptures in all of the Bible. It's one for us to read when we need to feel comforted when we need to feel the warm embrace of God's love, which I would say when we feel the fear of death, that is what we most need. We need to feel the warm embrace of God's love. The psalmist reminds us that God is here, that God is with us, that God is ready to lead and guide us and walk with us through all of life's ups and downs, and nothing about those promises have an expiration date. In fact, this is the power of Jesus' resurrection, in which we believe it shows us that God's love and God's power doesn't have an end. It has no expiration. The promises that we live in right now are our promises forever into eternity. The Lord is my shepherd. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I fear no danger because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they protect me. It's a promise, a reminder of God's presence in our hardest moments. And that includes our most fearful moments, our moments of struggle and pain, and yes, especially at the moment of our death. Psalm 23 is a song of trust. And it has a clear and certain message that God is with us and God is trustworthy. God is with us and God is trustworthy. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. This is a proclamation and a prayer. We say it in trust and hope for life now and life forever. Now the Bible is clear that life goes on after death. Jesus talks about that. In my father's house there are many rooms. The apostle Paul talks about it. Now we see in a mirror dimly, then we will see face to face. Life goes on after death. Our life in God's care and keeping goes on. We are not everlasting, a preacher mentor of mine used to say. We are not everlasting, but we are eternal. We are not everlasting, but we are eternal. One other thing that always brings me comfort when I find myself worrying about death for myself or someone I love, something else that brings me comfort is my experience with dying people. Now, as a pastor, I have had more conversations with people near death than the average person, I believe. I have been at the bedside of people in the hours before death, at death, and after death. And I have heard dozens and dozens and dozens of death stories. 
And what's amazing is as scary as death can seem to us when we sit here, when we're healthy and well, as scary as death can seem from far away, when we get up close to it, it doesn't actually seem that scary. Fear is not an emotion that people normally feel when they're approaching their own deaths. I'm not saying it never happens, but the nearness of death almost always brings peace, kind of an unusual peace, uh, a kind of unexpected calm even. When people begin to know in their own souls that the time is near, they're ready for it. They're calm about it. I don't know why that happens. I do know that it's a gift. Perhaps it's a grace that God saves, especially for the dying, to prepare them for what will come. But knowing that and seeing that, it does help me trust that when I stand on the edge between life and death, God will grant me also peace. This week, I want to invite you to take a moment to reflect on the mystery of life and death. Confess to God your fears <coughs> about death, your worries about it. Pray for those you have loved and buried. And then pray to God a song of trust like the psalmist. Say to God, I trust you, God. I trust my life to you. I trust my death to you. I believe in your promise of resurrection and life eternal, and I trust myself to you for all of eternity. Help me to fear not. Thanks be to God. Amen. Amen.